This week, a real problem with lambing underway, sheep worrying. But what can be done to tackle it on the farm? People think sheep are stupid and got no feelings, but they're, they're fantastic creatures. Also, we'll hear from George Eustace as to why he's no longer the farm minister. Parliament has uh, seized direct control of the agenda. The government is no longer in control uh, of this process. And later, we meet the man behind FaceTime a farm. The week in agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Still got the croaky voice, as you can hear. Now, before all that, a Lincolnshire pig farm has been targeted this weekend by activists, demanding an end to so-called factory farming. 200 protesters got onto the Sandy Land's farm at Lauterton yesterday and spent six hours in the units with the pigs. This was the moment the owner, Sylvia Hook, confronted the protesters. Can you tell me, can you tell me why my little farm today has been, has been targeted with about, I don't know how many of you, 500 well, that was during a live stream on Facebook. Sylvia joins me on the phone now. Sylvia, what happened yesterday? Um, I was just uh, we were, I was just on the farm. I was actually doing some painting, and there was a, a lot of cars suddenly started pulling up outside um, the house. Um, I thought for a moment they were anti-hunt uh, saboteurs. I thought maybe the hunt was round, but then there was so many cars. I thought something very strange was happening. Um, I went to have a look and was greeted by over 200 people um, just swarming just swarming onto the farm with no regard for anybody that stood in their way. Uh, my manager's wife and two small children were absolutely frightened to death. Um, they ran straight through the farm into the firing houses, um, disrupting everything that was going on in there. Uh, the firing house lady was so absolutely petrified she just did a runner. Um, and they just caused chaos, basically. Now, I know you went in there and, and confronted them, as we just said. What, we did what, go in. What I were they saying to you? Please leave my property, um, to which, obviously, they were not going to do. Um, they were upsetting the sows. We've had a major welfare issue over it. They were causing the sows to be um, jumping up and down. If you think about it, it's a nice, quiet, firing house sows just get on with their babies suddenly there's over 150 people in there there's noise there's chaos they're filming they're running about the sows are leaping up and down screaming the piglets are getting squashed some of the piglets some of the bigger ones are so frightened they're trying to jump out the pens they're getting crushed it was absolute mayhem in there it's such a case of, of animal cruelty it's unbelievable and it, it seemed their anger was more at slaughterhouses or, or or meat eaters in general, really, wasn't it? Rather yeah, than actually the, something I mean, on your she, farm. Yeah, she did say to me, it's not your farm that's particularly been targeted. Uh, nobody has the right to eat meat. That was her words. So what's happening on the farm now? I mean, how do you stop this happening again? Um, after about six and a half hours, the police have um, finally cautioned them and, um, and gave them 20 minutes to, to, to leave, which they now have done. Um... Yeah, I just don't know. We're just trying to pick up the pieces now and, and try to sort out. The pigs are all mixed up. They're all in the wrong litters. Um, there's piglets running about all over. They've drained the water system in that shed. Goodness knows why they've done that. I've got no idea. Um, we have all the, the best health standards. Uh, we have the red tractor. We have the assurance scheme. They're really well looked after pigs. You would not go onto a, you know, a nicer, kinder unit with our staff. Our staff, our staff are absolutely devastated. Um, it's just, I cannot understand how these people say that they love animals and can go in there and create such havoc. Um, and it's just ridiculous. And yes, their, their main anger is towards the slaughterhouses. 
Um, so why target a farm with mummies and babies? It's ridiculous. Sylvia Huck there on those protests at her farm at Lauterton yesterday. Right, on to other matters. It was a glorious sunny day on Wednesday for the Lincolnshire Farming Conference, completely different to last year when, of course, you had to battle through blizzards to get there. As we discussed on last week's programme, uh, the date looked at the next 150 years of agriculture, from making the most of new technology to global food trends. Brexit, as ever, read its head as well. Gail Sutar, the NFU's chief EU withdrawal and international trade advisor, gave her view from the inside. Andrew Ward, how did you find the conference? You'd probably say this was one of, if not the best, that we've had. We've had a complete mix of people talking to us, except it was all along the same theme of protecting the environment, soil, looking after food production for the years to come. So I'm really, really pleased with how, how it's gone. Questions we've had, quality questions as well. And to finish off with Professor David Hughes was was uh, unbelievable. I mean, I was out of breath trying to keep up with him the way he was wandering about the place and the things he was saying. J- just mind-blowing, I think, yeah. Really, really pleased. Been you know, helping organise it as I do. Uh, I would say it's been a success, so great. In uncertain times, obviously, and we still don't know what's happening with Brexit. Obviously, we heard from Gail Suit here uh, today as well, although clarity is still an issue. But there's still a positive feel in the in the room. There, there is, Sean, and I think it's one of these things that as farmers we, we seem to have, that we have lots of challenges thrown up against us all the time, not just with Brexit, over the years we've had everything thrown at us, and we just seem to deal with it, and we don't know what Brexit is going to entail yet, we don't know what um, deals or trade deal we're going to have to be working under, yet... Whatever it is, we'll, uh, we'll adapt, we're resilient, and I'm sure we'll, we'll make a go of it. The thing that really shocked me was Gail Souter when I asked the question about food imports, because as, as a farmer, it's something that we really, really do need to uh, uh, look at and take care of, because having food imported into this country that is grown with products that we cannot use is, is, is just uh, you know, the worst thing you could ever have. And I didn't realise until Gail said it that if we're operating under the world trade deal, so a no-deal Brexit, we cannot regulate what comes into this country. So if food is being brought into this country, grown with plant protection products that we cannot use, we cannot stop it coming in. That I didn't know, and I think that, was to me, was absolutely alarming. So a real eye-opener here. Absolutely, a real eye-opener, Sean, yeah. And, and, but, you know, overall, I think the theme of the conference was great and, and the whole look at food production and where we're going um, in the next few years is, is fascinating. I think today has just added to everybody's uh, knowledge of that. Andrew Ward there discussing Wednesday's conference. We'll hear from Tom Martin and what he had to say a little later on. Also there, Kit and Rebecca from Openfield and Rebecca Pierce has the latest market report for us this week too. Hello, Rebecca. Good morning, Sean. Lovely to see you at the Lincolnshire Farming Conference this week. The big news in the UK grain trade this week came on Wednesday when Crop Energies announced they are to restart their Ensis bioethanol plant, initially planning to run the factory at reduced capacity to supply orders from British customers. Question is, will they be using wheat or corn? We'll just have to see, but it will hopefully keep cash prices at the farm gate in the north of England supported after what has felt like a downward spiral for quite a while now. The AHDB released their updated UK supply and demand data this week, revising the UK wheat crop down to just under 14 million tonnes, slightly higher than the average trade estimate, but if you use this figure and look at the domestic supply and demand, you can see we have the potential for a larger carryout than seen in previous seasons, 
thanks to a vast reduction in exports, the closure of the bioethanol plants and so on. And if this carryout number is believed, then you could well see old crop May 19 wheat futures continue to slide further. London wheat futures fell again this week, following a slide in both French and US wheat, with French Métif wheat futures continuing to erode and US Seabot wheat futures hitting new contract lows despite supportive US weekly export figures. At the time of writing, May 19 London wheat closed over £3 a tonne lower since Monday at £163.20 and November 19 London wheat Futures closed near £4 a tonne lower at 146.30. Despite weaker future markets, in our area there's not been any real change on cash markets on farm this week, with feed wheat values for March around £160-165 a tonne. With March now upon us, there's around a third of our season left to market what's left in the shed. With lots of uncertainty at present and a market really needing some direction, it's hard to know where our values will end up. But watch out for any opportunities that arise, because trust me when I say, they won't wait around for you. Speaking of opportunities, in the past few weeks we have seen the premiums for full-spec Group 1 milling wheat supported, to a point where at present in some areas growers are now achieving near £25 a tonne overfeed for the best quality of parcels. It's always worth getting in touch with your local open field farm business manager for exact prices on your farm. In global news, the Russian Agricultural Ministry said on Wednesday that Russia, the world's largest wheat exporter, do not have plans to impose restrictions on grain exports, dismissing untrue media reports that they had set quotas on exports for their traders. With the positively tropical weather we've seen for most of this last week, many are now underway with lamb work and spring drilling. And as progress is made, it is perhaps worth looking at your marketing plan going forward for the crop that you're putting in the ground. With the unknowns of Brexit and BPS, it could be more important than ever to have a risk management strategy in place. Unfortunately, I have no better news for our oilseed rate prices either, with values at the farm gate coming under further pressure this week thanks to a very firm pound, as well as crushes covering spot positions with imported seed. The continued strikes over wages at a major French oilseed group has led to a drop of near 200,000 tonnes of rapeseed being used since the end of January, which is weighing on French prices. And in the UK, we've seen our ex-farm prices slide the best part of £25 a tonne in the past month. Whilst I like to try and see the light at the end of the tunnel, it's hard to know at present if there's going to be one. With spot market values now shy of £300 a tonne, we're either going to see some panic selling at the farm gate or those standing their ground and hope things will bounce back later on in the season. Again, it begs me to ask the question, how much is left in your shed? Let's have a look at our prices now. And feed wheat for March is currently circa 160 to 165 pounds a ton, with a pound per ton per month forward carry. New crop prices are lower on the week, with values off combine 135 to 140 pounds a ton, with a forward carry through to November 19, where growers can achieve 140 to 145 pounds a ton, x the farm. As I mentioned earlier, the premiums for Group 1 milling wheat parcels are attractive at around 22 to 25 pounds a ton. Feed barley values remain hard to gauge at present given a real lack of demand. They seem to have fallen out of bed and remain a larger discount to feed wheat prices than we have seen so far this season. New crop values off combine for feed barley are 115 to 120 pounds a ton dependent on area. As a result of weaker feed barley prices, malting prices have fallen too. Premiums for springs are currently £20 a tonne overfeed, with premiums for winter a little bit less. 
Oilseed rate values are weaker on the week, between 296 to 300 pounds a ton for March, with new crop values off combine now back to 290 to 293 pounds a ton, with a forward carry through to November where you could achieve 300 to 305 pounds a ton X farm. Have a lovely Sunday and I'll be back with you in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Rebecca Pierce from Open Field. From the grain markets to our weekly agronomy update then from our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. Hello, Sean. Well, yes, good morning, Sean. And once again, this mythical normal year has eluded us. If you think back a year ago as today, there were four inches of snow laid on the floor. And uh, something made me smile the other day, so I reposted it on Twitter. And it is what you have is winter and then you have the full spring and then you have the second winter and then you get the spring of deception and then you get the third winter and then you get the mud season and then you get the true spring so i don't think it is a particularly early spring somebody took uh umpage with that and said to me no no it's uh, the blackthorn doesn't lie you know it really is an early spring well i'm sat on the top of the lincolnshire wolds as i talk to you and as far as i can see i can see blackthorn hedges and not only i'm right next to one now not only are there no buds on this hedge there's certainly no sign of any blossom so i think we could still get an awful lot of winter yet remember last year it was the middle of march before we got the beast from the east so we can't counter chickens all we can do is work with the conditions that are presenting themselves and as it's been this week we've had 18 20 degree temperatures on tuesday i was at a meeting in stamford and it was 23 degrees when i came out absolutely beautiful i've been walking fields stripped to the waist getting my legs nice and and it's been a fantastic week for walking fields. You could see the soils mineralising and releasing that nitrogen and all of those other nutrients. And the crops, with soil temperatures suddenly pushing into the sevens and the eights, they're starting to grow away and they're using that available release nitrogen to push. And winter wheat, winter barley greening up from the centre beautifully. An absolute indication that nitrogen is getting into them. Oilseed rate crops as well starting to run now. However, and there is always a however, if you think back to last autumn, that first week of September, anybody that grew all seed rate won't forget it, the cabbage stem flea beetles suddenly got markedly worse out there in the field. And we know with cabbage stem flea beetle, unless you actually contact the cabbage stem flea beetle adults themselves with the pyrethroid, you don't kill them. So people that were just going out on a little bit of a windy day when the beetle weren't there, they were sheltering, they won't have done any good at all. Some of us thought we'd done a pretty good job by timing it going out in the middle of the night and spraying them when they were active and when they were there. But since we've lost the neonicotinoid seed dressing, we're now left with one thing only, and that is pyrethroids. And if they're resistant to one pyrethroid, they're resistant to all of the pyrethroids. And what you can see is we are starting now to select out a resistant population. And that is very, very obvious. Now, as we got in a, a, a warm, dry autumn like we got last year in September... Cabbage stem flea beetle love those conditions because they mate a lot sooner, they lay their eggs a lot quicker, and those eggs hatch an awful lot quicker. So they lay their eggs on the soil around the base of the plants, and then they that's them done. And the cabbage stem flea beetle damage seemed to stop. So people thought they were out of the woods when the shot holing had finished and that was the end of it and these crops started to grow away. But then as those eggs hatch, the larvae head into the oilseed rape plant by tunnelling in through the petiole at the base of the leaves. So 
they then sit there as the weather cools down over the winter and they're munching away inside the plants but you don't really notice anything you can see the entry holes but then we always see entry holes from cabbage stem flea beetle in oilseed rape and it's only now that these crops are starting to set off that you can pick out fields that don't look right when you go in and look in those fields you realize the scale of how much cabbage stem flea beetle larvae there is within these plants and they tunnel as the name suggests up the center of the stem where the xylem and the phloem is and they will kill the plant they will then move into the uh, the leaves which are then developing and you start to get a situation where you end up with a crop which is almost certain not to produce pods on those plants we saw it last year to a much lesser extent but i wonder whether we are now witnessing the end of all seed rape in the east of england and that would be a massive shame for the pollinators and the bees because the loss of the neonicotinoid which as we've said before was a targeted perfect example of precision farming on the seed itself but the damage to a massive loss of a pol- to the pollinators from losing a crop like oilseed rape really you know and that is on the hands of the politicians and the activists who have got rid of a perfectly sound way of controlling a pest if we want to keep that pollen source alive and it's, it's very very distressing for me to see this but I have never seen the level of cabbage stem flea beetle infestation that I am seeing this year. It's always an unknown quantity. It may look a lot worse than it is. But I know I had a couple of fields last year that got all the way to harvest looking okay and then were very disappointing. So monitor your individual crop. Don't just assume that because they grew out of the autumn damage that they're okay because the chances are they may well not be. Now as far as cereals go, very little disease. Certainly no need to be going out with any sort of fungicide. Ignore T minus naught if you're being told to do it. Just ignore that. It teases timing happens in three weeks time or so towards the middle of the end of March work on growth stage late tillering and stick to the plan monitor where the issues are and deal with it there black grass applications if you're monolith Atlantis Pacifica can go on now if it's still working dry leaf 12 kilometers an hour maximum forward speed do not use bubble jets or air induction nozzles get it right and be prepared to be disappointed because we know we're losing the battle uh, on contact sprays on that weed and spring barley spring wheat still going in at a pace quite right too if you're putting it in black grassland spray off before you start get your pre-em on make sure you're right spring beans they're going in well now get your pre-em on as well and make sure you're drilling to a depth of about 40 mil to give them protection from the pre-emergence herbicide um too early for linseed really although another couple of weeks it'll be a different story too early for peas sugar beet i'm sure there will be people already thinking about it so on that bombshell sean we will see what the next week brings um hopefully another farming program goodbye sean sparling of sparling agronomy services lambing is well underway and with it the ever-present threat of sheep worrying james reed farms on the edge of the wolds and has had three separate attacks in the last two months alone when dog walkers let their pets loose resulting in them frightening his livestock. He'd now like more education on the issue, particularly in schools. Lily Keane has been on the farm to find out more about the problem. Uh, we're coming up a very important time at the minute because it's lambing time, so the, some of the sheep are really heavily in lamb, carrying two or three lambs inside them. So, um, and it's a bit like running a pregnant woman around a football field. That it can stress them to the point where they can abort the lambs, which is... Bad for the sheep mainly, but um, it affects the farmers' income. It's their, it's the farmers' livelihood. The lambs that come out are produced out of them. So obviously, it's quite concerning for you as well in the work that you do. Yeah, I mean, I'm a real animal lover. I train sheepdogs for a living, so you know, and animals are just my main part of my life. And you know, to see sheep, I mean, people think sheep are stupid and got no feelings, but they're, they're 
fantastic creatures. They're, they're far more intelligent than people um, give them credit for. And you don't like to see animals put under this stress, and just like you wouldn't want to see a human put under that sort of stress. And you had quite a bad case, didn't you, in, in the past. So can you tell me a little bit about that then, your, your experience? Um, I had 50 of my breeding yews in a field uh, on the outskirts of Louth, behind um, where it was some winter grazing that I'd got, and they were behind an electric fence. Um, the, the dog in question had um, got away from its owner. She'd seen it go into the field, and but she was uh, too worried about a, a state of her footwear, so she went back and put her wellies on. In this time, she left the dog for half an hour in the field with my sheep. Um, two of them had to be uh, put down, and I think there was seven injured altogether. And it was when I got to the field, it was more or less like um, a war film. There was just sheep laid everywhere with you know blood all over them. And a sheep, if it's chased, it'll go down, it'll drop because it's so stressed. So it, it, and they're all heavily in lamb. It was a couple of weeks after we'd scanned them, so it's just carnage, really. It, well, there was one even in somebody's back garden, you know. So the sheep were just terrified. It makes you really cross because it's just people, uh, people's ignorance to how how these sheep can be mutilated like this, really, you know. And for a case of just having a bit of manners, just like you would in the town. You know, just put your dog on a lead where it, it can get itself into some trouble, you know. And um, people are just ignorant what, what these... I mean, everybody says to me, oh, my dog wouldn't chase sheep. But having trained sheepdogs as part of my living, I mean, every dog will chase sheep. If if it sees a sheep run, 90% of dogs will chase it. You know, it's, it's bred in them. And it, a lot of these cases happen at, in the evening time, just near dusk, because that triggers something in a dog's brain to chase an animal at dusk. So that's when a lot of these things happen, you know, at dusk. And people go out walking their dogs at dusk and round, they let them go around the corner, out of sight, and bang, there's a field of sheep and off the dog goes. Are these just regular dog walkers then? Yeah, most of them are. I mean, I love people to be walking across farm. We have a footpath that goes straight through the middle of the farm and I love to see people. I stop and chat to them, you know, and... Um, the last thing I, w I want to say to people is don't bring your dogs into the countryside because I, I love walking my dogs in the countryside and um, farmers get uh, people give farmers the wrong impression really we we love to see people enjoying the countryside and and we want you to bring your dogs in but just we just like you to to be vigilant but the sheep probably around the next corner just like you would a five or a three-year-old don't let them go outside your dogs go outside because that's when the trouble happens the dog goes around the corner and it can be 100 yards away and it, the damage is done by the time the owner gets there so everybody just think think of the animals really so obviously we know with lambing season um coming up and many farmers you know already underway with that um you know, sheep worrying is a concern um, at this sort of time. But how about, um, you know, the season and the weather then? So last year we had a long, hot, dry summer and we had the bees from the east. Do you think that's going to affect lambing this year? Yeah, we've just had the sheep scan and they're probably carrying less lambs than they normally do because of the bees from the east. And then they've had a dry summer with not, not so much grass. And these sheep are under a, a stress as it is rearing their lambs. So the last thing they want is a you know a dog they're carrying less lambs but they're under a lot more stress this year so the last thing they want is a dog running around the field after them you know they want to get on be left alone and you know be able to lamb the lambs really yeah james reed there with lily Keane discussing the problems he and others face with sheep worrying he mentioned trying to spread the message in schools as one way to tackle the issue that engagement with those not in farming ever more important 
It's, of course, what we've tried to do here on the farming programme for the last two decades now. Tom Martin is doing his bit as well. He's the man behind FaceTime, a farmer, and was one of those speaking at Wednesday's conference. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here today. Um, I'm, I'm really discussing how we can use technology to communicate the, the message of farming through production in the British countryside. But for me, one of those, the ways that, that works out is, uh, is FaceTime a farmer, yeah. It is amazing the technology that's out there now, and it's a real opportunity for farmers like yourself to really engage with people uh, right across the country, really, isn't it? That's right. And, you know, I learned today that the, the power of an iPhone could actually manage, uh, could actually send 120 million Apollo-era spacecraft to the moon at the same time. So uh, we have a lot of power in our pockets. Um, and, yeah, so that, that's definitely something we should be using to communicate the message of farming. Tell us about FaceTime a farmer, where the idea came from. When did you first get the idea? Um, well, I heard um, about uh, a venture in the United States where they're big state fairs. They can attract millions of people. Uh, they would have a, a media suite, and you'd be able to ask a farmer a question direct to the field. And I thought, this is great, but actually it shouldn't be anchored in a media suite. It should be in the classroom. So FaceTime a Farmer was born. It's a, it's a fortnightly 10 to 15-minute Skype or FaceTime call between one farmer and one classroom. And at the moment, we're approaching 150 pairings, so 150 farmers, uh, each with their own class. Um, uh, they will contact the teacher find out what the children are studying and make sure there's somewhere on the farm that's appropriate to, uh, to, to have, a, have a discussion between the, the field and the classroom. And I guess now more than ever it's important, isn't it, to get that engagement? Absolutely. I think one in five children thought that avocados were laid by birds. So, uh, you know, we are, we are three or four generations divorced from the land. Many of us don't have uh, living grandparents uh, or great-grandparents who are on the farm. So it's really important to help people to see what happens the other side of the farm gate and, and to really, I guess, um, stimulate their imagination. And this is a, a great initiative we think to uh, to do that and what's the next big thing FaceTime a farmer we know works what, what's the next bit of technology you can work on well I'm I'm concentrating at the moment on FaceTime a farmer <laughs> right. I want to make, we've got a lot of interest from government um, and when we're talking about public money for public goods this is uh, right in the in the centre of that so um, so that's where we are and we're also looking internationally as well so if it works in the UK it will work in every other country Farmer Tom, as he's known on social media, that's Tom Martin. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. Yes, turning to the weather then, wet and windy as we head through Sunday. Some rain could be heavy for a time, 11 at the high through the afternoon. And that wind, starting from the south, 10 to 15 miles an hour by this evening, gusting up to 50, maybe even 55 miles an hour from the southwest. Overnight will be dry. That breeze continuing, though, as I say, from the southwest around 50 miles an hour. We're looking at lows of around 4 Celsius to start Monday. And it is a cloudy start to the new week. Maybe some sunshine in the afternoon. Little if any, though. 8 Celsius the high. And the wind more from the west, 20 to 25 miles an hour. Another breezy night Monday into Tuesday, continuing from the west-southwest, 20 gusts of 40 miles an hour. We're looking at lows of around 5. And then through Tuesday itself, calming down a little from the southwest, 15 miles an hour. Daytime highs of around 8, maybe a shower, but it should be mostly dry. Clear skies overnight Tuesday into Wednesday, pushing temperatures down to around freezing point. That wind from the southwest, 10 miles an hour. And then a sunny uh, middle of the week. We're looking at highs possibly around 10 Celsius. The wind from the southwest at 10 miles an hour. Some rain possible by the end of the day. And for the latter end of the week, well, again, it should be dry on Thursday, but the possibility of some further rain and quite windy conditions on Friday. As ever, that can change the hourly forecasts, keeping you updated. For now, though, that is the forecast. Our last word this week goes to George Eustace. On Thursday, he revealed he was quitting the government after five years as Agriculture Minister. 
He's been a regular on this programme last uh, on Armistice Day, actually. He even helped with a special poem, you might remember, that we produced to mark the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War. Well, he stepped down because he's unhappy with Theresa May potentially offering a vote on delaying the entire Brexit process. Well, precisely because it is a sensitive time. Uh, We have several weeks to go and some really critical decisions that Parliament now will have to make. Uh, And there's been an important development this week, which is that Parliament has uh, seized direct control of the agenda. The government is no longer in control uh, of this process. And as someone who's campaigned for us to leave the European Union uh, all of my political life, uh, I actually want to be contributing to ensure that we can uh, get Parliament to do what it uh, has said it will do. What Parliament would be doing is effectively voting against no deal, so taking the idea of leaving without a withdrawal agreement off the table altogether, and then sending the Prime Minister cap in hand at the 11th hour to beg the European Union for an extension. And we don't know what the European Union's counter-offer would be. Uh, They may say that you have to revoke Article 50 altogether. They may say that the delay has to be at least two years. They may place a large financial penalty uh, on that delay. Going to the European Union and putting yourself in a position where you're over the barrel of a gun at the 11th hour uh, really doesn't make sense. And that is why we have to have the courage as a country, if necessary, uh, to walk away from the European Union without a deal. George Eustace there with our last words on the farming programme this morning on why he's no longer an agriculture minister. Until next week, take care.